with all apologies to the estate of G.K. Chesterton. To understand the nature of this season, it is necessary to recur to the nature of this club. The argument, which is meant to be the backbone of the podcast, is of the kind called the reductio ad absurdum. It suggests that the results of assuming the rationalist thesis are more irrational than ours, but to prove it we must assume that thesis. Thus, in the first section, I often treated man as merely an animal, to show that the effect was more impossible than if he were treated as an angel. In the sense in which it was necessary to treat man merely as an animal, it is necessary to treat Eddie Newhue merely as a man. I have to suspend my own beliefs, which are much more positive, and assume this limitation even in order to remove it. I must try to imagine what would happen to a man who did really read the story of Newhue as the story of a man, and even of a man of whom he had never heard before. And I wish to point out that a really impartial reading of that kind would lead, if not immediately to belief, at least to a bewilderment of which there is no solution, except in belief. In this podcast, for this reason, I shall bring in nothing of the spirit of my own creed. I shall exclude the very style of diction, and even of lettering, which I should think fitting in speaking in my own person. I am speaking as an imaginary heathen human being, honestly, staring at the Eddie Newhue story for the first time. Welcome to episode 9 of the Owls Americast, Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American Accent. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. We'll get right into it because there's a lot to cover. We have literally, let's see, 9 or 10 match talking points from Patty this week for the whole game. I don't even think he was paying attention in the first half. But anyway, I am drinking Fernet Branca because I already had a fairly large dinner and two glasses of wine thereat. And I'm drinking it out of my grandfather's blue Amaro glasses from the 1930s that I have socked away in my house for just such an occasion. Uh, In an ironic twist of fate, after calling out sick last week to watch the MLS Eastern Conference Final, Evan is actually sick this week, so he'll only be joining us for the middle segment. So we had to put up the owl's bat signal, which I assume is just an owl instead of a bat, for another of our American Owls fans, and answering the call, Luke Andrews Hacken. Luke, what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking a snow pear juice box from the Chinese grocery store in Sunset Park. It's like you're talking different languages, you two, with your drinks. I, I just I don't understand what's going on at the moment. The intro, no. and then this. What's well, hang on a second. He's, Luke, Luke just said juice box. You you mean like a, a child's juice box of like apple juice like or, some, or pear yeah. juice? Or something. Yeah, it's just it's snow pear versus apple juice. It was all we had in the fridge. Snow <laughs> pear apple snow pear juice box. Yeah. It's not some fancy hipster band or, uh, or funny <laughs> drink, Paddy. This, <laughs> is, this is like Luke's drinking some proper vitamin enhanced yeah, fruit it's juice. Not like an unfiltered pear, pear cider or anything like that. No, no, it's there's there's no alcohol in it. Sorry, guys. So confused already this this episode. The author of the incredibly long list of Hall City talking points, Patty Jones. Patty, what are you drinking? 
I'm drinking iced water out of a plastic blue Mets cup. <laughs> which I think sums a lot of my, <laughs> my, my Are we all just that. still recovering from the Jaeger bombs from Saturday during the whole city game? Is that the issue here? 13 hours of drinking, Jeff. Um, I've been on water ever since. Also with us once again this week is James Allen. James, please tell me you're drinking a beer. I'm drinking my second beer in 20 minutes. Um, so I, I nipped out. I didn't have very much time before we uh, we started recording. So I went to my we local went to brewery. One of the 10 local breweries, apparently, within one of my two ten blocks local breweries. of you, basically, um, based on the uh, last few episodes. Uh, exactly. Well, I went to Rockaway Brewery, which is the one a block away from my house. I'm drinking a uh, an English porter called Harmonious Discord, which is uh, probably a good descriptor for the uh, for the podcast to come. Um, but unfortunately, when I got there, I discovered I couldn't pay for my growler with my uh, with my credit card because it wasn't over ten dollars. So I had to have a uh, a half pint of uh, one of their speculative IPAs called uh, uh, this my so called IPA, which was a marmalade flavored IPA, and it was delicious. Intriguing. You can't pay for growlers the credit cards. You should have known that. Ask Nick Hibbins. <laughs> also on the show, and finally out of various New York City tunnels, Paul Owen. Paul, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm back on my yacht. Um, I'm back on the Stillwater yacht, the dry, hot session lager. And you're right, I'm sticking to staying away from tunnels because um, I couldn't make it to Family Day because uh, our glorious uh, president decided to shut the whole hot bottom half of Manhattan down. I was in a car in a tunnel stuck uh, for pretty much the whole of the match. So I'm sticking to boats and staying out of cars this week. I'm on my yacht. Well, despite Patty's rather extensive talking points that we have listed here, uh, you didn't miss much, Paul. Just another uh, disappointing Wednesday performance. Were... I missed the shots, though, did I? You did. Damn. You did miss the shots. Uh, the drinking game went over pretty well, all in all, other than Eddie breaking beer glasses all over the floor. <laughs> there was one notable change to the starting lineup. Uh, Carlos inserted Marco Matias on the wing, uh, then quickly uninserted him at halftime because it did not go very well, Patty. Uh, yeah, Matthias uh, was not our saviour. Um, we seem to have a new saviour every week at the moment, and obviously a new fresh face uh, on the field uh, gives us a little bit of a shot in the arm, or at least that's what we want it to do. But unfortunately, uh, poor Marco looks like he hasn't seen football in about five years, which he may not have done, actually. We haven't really seen much of him either, so I don't think he can lay too much blame on his, on his uh, performance. Um, he looks a bit rusty at the moment. whole team looked a little bit rusty in the first half, though you can't really give too much credit to Hull for their first goal, bounced into the feet of the forward, and a fairly standard, if clinical, finish from there, James. I, I guess so. We weren't watching. <laughs> um, Nobody was, apparently. No, and we weren't watching because it got really boring by that point, hadn't it? I mean, like, I mean, it kind of sums up the whole game, really. I mean, there was kind of about 10 minutes of action at the back end, I guess, which you might say was entertaining. It was maybe until the last minute. But, but 70, 80 minutes of that game were just miserable. And, and you know, it kind of started off with a little bit more energy that perhaps, you know, Carlos City was going to go more attack-minded. 
Um, they they kind of they were a bit more up tempo for the first five minutes, but that just faded away. Zero really, shots really on target in the first half, James. Exactly, and I think there was like there was a huge celebration on about forty minutes when we finally kind of got even close to the goal. But but the point, the reason why we missed the goal is because we we descended into conversation in the pub because there was absolutely nothing going on. And in fact, we, you know, Wednesday's attack had just broken down after taking about five minutes to kind of build up to somewhere near threatening the penalty area. So we'd uh, we'd all kind of broken into a different conversation. Our illustrious guest had gone to the bar and. Um, and the ball just sort of meandered up the pitch, and uh, and yeah, they scored. And and like you say, it was a good finish. I think it was Fraser Campbell who uh, who actually scored. But I mean, it was like a nice through butter situation. There was you know, there was no threat. There was nothing going on. Wednesday weren't closing down anywhere near close enough on the right hand side. Progressed in, and and it was it, you know, it was a good finish, but an easy finish. Um, it's just disappointing. It really was disappointing. In fact, the uh, the aforementioned guest was still at the bar five minutes later when his. Uh, his wife Laura went up to tell him that uh, that Hull had taken the lead, and there was uh, there was a clattering of glass up there, and a and a scream and a shout, and a "Are you fucking kidding me?" Um, which pretty much summed up the whole first half. I follow See, with yeah. not much help in this regard either. Well, it never is, is it? I mean, you get no replay, you get not, no scar on the screen, so you know no idea what's going on. But see, I disagree with this, that the uh, the first half was a bit of a non-event, because I think well, if you asked us last week, we asked basically to start Tupin Fletcher, which he did. We asked him to start with a bit more buzz about them, and a bit more kind of up-tempo, and I thought that we did do that. We did try and uh, have a lot more pace around us. It didn't always come off or result in a shot on target. Or shot I mean, it literally did not result on a shot on target. <laughs> All right, but I'm saying that the I think as far as an improvement goes, it might be maybe minimal. But I didn't find that first half that bad, and it was completely against the run of play. Hull's goal, sure. Um, it was a I mean Hull rebound. was shocking. Let's be clear, they were shocking. But I don't think you can tar this game with the brush we've tarred the previous games. I think actually it was an improvement. That's my point of view. Controversially, in the first half, and I think second half we were more dominant, um, and we just. Uh, fell behind two ridiculously poor defensive like lapses of concentration. And we could have had four goals if uh, Morgan Fox could maybe not pass from an offside position. <laughs> God, my. That was really like schoolyard stuff, that wasn't it? It was really kind of uh, like... What was it you going. said? Somebody said they wouldn't have... Uh, like They would have yelled at their 10-year-old for doing that in like the under-10s. I think we were talking to several ten-year-olds who were watching the game <laughs> with us, who were critically analysing the game, pointing out that he was a bloody idiot for uh, for releasing the ball when he did, and not just you know cracking on down the left side. I mean, but okay, so we started the game a little bit more positively, and okay, you know the the goals that we conceded were lapses of concentration or complete clusterfucks, as the uh, the second one might be better termed. But the that's just not good enough, is it? I mean, look at the quality of Hull; they were there for the taking. I mean, this is a team that, that literally fired or uh, agreed by mutual consent to remove their manager the day after they played us. I mean, the performance was appalling from Hull. I mean, not just a shadow of the former selves, but they simply weren't a, weren't a competitive championship side. And uh, us playing a little bit more up-tempo and having a little bit more positivity, but still not managing to get a, a shot on target in the first half and ultimately not managing to get a result from that game, just, it just isn't good enough. I mean, and it comes back to this thing we've been talking about, about being bang average. Shockingly, Carlo switched to a 4-3-3 in the second half, which I think took us about 10 minutes to figure out. Thanks again, I follow. Trying to figure out how many strikers were on the pitch and who'd come off. But, uh, and like often happens when we switch to a 4-3-3 and are behind, 
Uh, the second half performance was much, much better. I think it was certainly more threatening, wasn't it? I mean, um, you know, it, granted, when we when we did put literally all the meat on the fire, otherwise known as all the strikers on the bench on the field, um, which was kind of entertaining because nobody actually knew who'd come on in uh, in the game we were watching, so we were sort of we were shouting for the wrong players. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, we we basically switched to a logic of just lump it up and uh, and hope it sticks, which certainly gave more excitement. I don't know if it's a progressive way of playing, but it um, it did yield more. Um, more of a positive attacking threat. I'll give you that, Jeff. And Eddie knew he was right in the middle of it, Paul. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, 55 minutes. The clouds parted, a ray of heavenly light shone down from above. And the uh, Cosman <laughs> gods of football delivered unto us, big deity Dave, on he came. Um, you know, when I think that was literally a ray of light, I think it, it changed the game. Um, you know, granted, it was because we were just lumping it. But if you're going to do that, lump it to Dave, you know, and he was bringing it down, he was turning, he was holding up, you know, set up a great goal. Um, it was like watching the Harlem Globetrotters at times. Big Dave saved 75% speed, maybe. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Patty, you predicted yeah, this. It was good. I did predict it. I think, to be fair, we, we had a good uh, podcast last week. We all predicted, well, other than me, that um, wouldn't start with uh, uh, Atty off uh, up front. But um, we said that we wanted to start with Hooper and Fletcher, and uh, they did okay, but Fletcher again fluffed his lines. And we brought Atty on to, as an impact sub, and it, it works, unfortunately, for the way we're playing at the moment. And James may not like that it's not pretty and it's not progressive, but it's fucking working right now, So and it's all we've got. So... I think we should start Atty next week again. I think we should start him. It should be him and Hooper. They link up quite well, surprisingly. Say so they've had a little time on the pitch together. Um, that uh, Atty chance, as well as the goal, obviously, that he uh, nodded, nodded down for Hooper was the second goal. He actually had a chance as well himself, a bit too further out to the left, which Hooper combined well with the flat, too. So I think there's a makings here of a good partnership up front. And when Fletcher's not firing and when Rhodes isn't firing, start Atty knew you. I mean, to be fair, he looks like a better player this year. I mean, it's still very much Eddie Newhue, but he seems fairly comfortable in his role. He's winning headers. He's jumping. He's getting up in the air. I mean, he didn't use that before. He used to jump uh, shorter than his height was. So I think he's playing better, and I think uh, he's on form, and you've got to play your on-form players. I must be watching a different game of football. I must be watching a different... um... A different individual because I, I see a human, not a deity. Um, I'm not sure I can I can I can quite adhere to this kind of uh, this cult of Dave that's that's building up. He looks exactly the same player as he did three years ago to me. He um, he's strong, he's physical, he holds off players well. He he rumbles around with the ball, and and if you give it give him the ball in a in a good area, he'll he'll you know hopefully nod it down and, and create an opportunity for someone. That's great. And if if our game plan is is all about playing that style of football and we want to play that level of football, then then I guess he's probably the right man for the job. But I don't think he I don't think he adds anything different now to to what he did, you know, pre Carlos and and in the early days of the Carlos era. 
the point is we we should be further on we've got players like Fletcher like Rhodes who if you play to their strengths if you integrate your game plan and your your style in a way that that you know really makes them fire so if you play a high pressing game and you get the ball in early to uh, to to Rhodes for example or if you you allow Stephen Fletcher to play the link role and and play at pace you're going to get better results out of them but we we seem to have run out of ideas where the only idea is to go back to what we knew before and and go back to uh, to Addy and you know, we'll probably have some fun with that, but it's not going to get us promoted. Do we think that this is maybe just practice for the inevitable switch to plan B that will happen in the latter half of the season? Plan B being? Well, plan B being different from whatever plan A was last year that everyone else figured out and which resulted in us kind of getting getting closer and closer to the end of the season and not being as good as we'd been <clears throat> prior to that. But we were more effective, were we not, towards the end of the season? So I think, I mean, sometimes you have to uh, go with what's more effective rather than what's uh, your style of play, which Carlos wants to bed in. So I'm all for it. Uh, if it gets results, it gets results. I'm intrigued by this idea that somehow we're kind of we're playing a grand subterfuge and, and sort of the the resurrection of Adi Newhu is is part of a way of taking everybody's eye off the ball before we come forward with like an, an an unstoppable footballing force in the second half of the season and take the championship by storm. I don't know what you know, Luke, but I like it. Can you, if you can expand on it, then uh, then please do, because it'll make me feel a whole lot better about the situation. That unstoppable footballing force is clearly Adi Newhu. Clearly. Did you see him pick Hooper up and like almost carry him ten yards to the sideline when uh, when Hooper scored? It was hilarious. <laughs> like ran into him because he couldn't stop and just picked him up and carried him ten yards. I think we should say something about how good Hooper was in this game because I think that does get obscured. A hundred percent, he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I mean, he literally and, and scored four goals. <laughs> and what were we doing thinking of dropping him against Reading? I mean, I think I've said on record several times over, unless he's injured, Hooper has to be the first name on the team sheet because, you know, he 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 doesn't let us down any game. His movement, his link play, his energy is phenomenal, second to none. He brings the team alive. And then he's, he's, the quality of his finishing when he gets an opportunity is sensational. I mean, that, that finish actually from the nod down from Dave, which... Everyone lords the nod down, but it was it wasn't perfect. It was running away from Hooper, but it, it was just instinctive. You know, he didn't even look up. He knew exactly where he was going across the goalkeeper into the bottom corner. Brilliant, brilliant finish. And I do appreciate that even after Fox passed it to him like three yards offside, he's like, maybe they won't flag me. I'm just going to finish this. Plato the whistle and whatnot. As you should, as you should, yeah. And I mean, he must be as surprised that the whole stadium was that he received that pass when he did. So to continue as if nothing had happened and hopefully get away with it was, uh, was I suppose, professional, but also a little bit cheeky. But hey-ho, you can't do anything about that as a striker. So why are we having a cult of Hooper? Like, you know, I'll, I'll sign up to that. I'll, I'll go to a, uh, you know, a place of worship and I'll, I'll happily kind of, you know, agilise Gary Hooper. I think he's absolutely phenomenal. Um, but for some reason, the fan base can't get behind him in the way we can get behind this great lumbering Kosovan hulk of a... Uh, of an impact sub that we've uh, we've held on to for some time. I don't think it's like one or the other. I think people obviously uh, appreciate Hooper's um, goals and effort this season. Everyone re- regards him as one of the classiest players in the club. So I think you can do both. <laughs> You're saying you're worshipping multiple gods? <laughs> I am, yes, yeah. <laughs> and all in all, it would have been a good or at least passable day at the office but for that second hull goal patty oh dear it was just again I mean, everything against, just 
Even the finish, just... like he shinned the finish. Too. <laughs> it happened in slow motion too. I mean, like everything that could go wrong went wrong in that move. And again, it was their first venture forward in 45 minutes. Actually, no, since they scored the first goal, so 65 minutes. Um, and against run of play again. It's just two goals against run of play, uh, two poor defensive um, uh, lapses in concentration. Although you can't really blame just one defender for this. This is about three to blame. And I think it started with um, Van Aken's ridiculous clearance, which just went up in the air and ended up on the edge of the 18-yard box. Uh, which was scuffed away to somebody else and then crossed in by the whole player and then missed by another defender. And then Palm was nowhere near it either. So then they, yeah, they had basically two him. unmarked players going for that cross. Yeah. It was just an absolute shambles. And then who's bloody at the back post but Michael fucking Dawson with a, a shin roller almost that just taps the post and crawls in. It was just, oh, it was, gu- it was gutting. It was really gutting. Um, and it really took the shine off. I think if that didn't go in, we'd be talking about a decent performance and a good home win. But instead, it's back to the same old story as when's not playing good enough and uh, not winning games. James, you don't think oh. it was good enough regardless? Uh, yes, I, 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 I'm, I'm convinced by that point you'd had more Jaeger bombs than I had. Um, but it, it, No, I don't agree. I mean... <laughs> 78 minutes of that was average. Uh, the way we staged the comeback, and yes, it was Atty inspired, and on, on Saturday, Atty was definitely the, the, the guy who changed the game. And, and, and if we'd sneaked a 2-1 win, I think we'd have all kind of come away feeling, OK, we got we kind of got ourselves out of jail at the end there, but but good result, you know, maybe we can kick on from here. I don't think it would have been the performance that said we are kicking on. But that last goal, I mean, it was it was almost scripted in the way so many things went wrong, and it was so Wednesday. But... You know, when you're conceding goals like that, and in my opinion, you're not dismantling a team that were there for the taking as much as Hull. I, you know, I'm, I am doom and gloom because, frankly, that that just smacks to me of of us only getting average results from average performances. And, and you know, Van Aken, yes, he should have just absolutely wellied that into the stands as opposed to whatever hit and hope he did, kind of up and under uh, to kind of give it back to them. But but that litany of mistakes, that lack of concentration, the fact that we we didn't just see out the game. Um, I mean, the ball should have been the other end of the pitch and, and, and stayed there. So, yeah, just just not good enough for, for my... Um, you know, I, I want to be more positive. I, I've tried to be all season, but but at the moment I just see us going nowhere fast and that's um, that's disappointing. And then, Paul, we had Carlos's post-game interview. Yeah, that was a thing, wasn't it? It was... Um... I mean, I've watched it several times over and tried to sort of unpick it from a psychological perspective. And, you know, I think there's a few kind of giveaways in uh, in there, I think, that we can kind of draw on. I think, you know, first off, we saw a very emotional CC. You know, he was clearly frustrated. He was very emotional and he'd lost his calm. You know, I, I went back and looked at one of the first uh, interviews that we, we got with him in Portugal back in uh, July 2015. And, a very, very different, calm, collected character. Uh, although he had a, a much deeper uh, receding hairline then than he does now, there's the only sign of him, uh, you know, looking like he was in control was his hairline. Um, a couple of points I was going to mention was, um, you know, he, he clearly believes that, you know, there's a conspiracy in some way that we, we're, and he mentions it several times that 
I, this is not me imagining things. This is the reality. You know, we have at least 10 points down now because of bad decisions. You know, we kept going on about that point. Um, I mean, do we think it was even, a pretty blatant handball? Uh, it, it wasn't a blatant handball. No, I think Dawson, this is my, my, my opinion, is that Dawson, Dawson does dive and his arms are up. He's making himself big in front of that player. He's, he's rolling the dice. He knows that if it's going to hit him somewhere it shouldn't, he's... He's going to be off, and it's um, it's a penalty. But I think it, the ball strikes his sort of high side. But it, I've watched this over again. When the ball comes off his side, it 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 strikes his arm and goes dead. It kind of hits the underside of his armpit and hits his maybe his hand, his forearm. You can't see it in the frames for, off TV, but it definitely strikes his arm. I think. Um, you know, and he, he, Carlos was even sort of saying we'll see this on channel five we'll see this on channel five you wait and see and you know obviously clinton morrison's taking the opportunity to say not a penalty <laughs> um which i did find amusing um making carlos look kind of a bit crazy really i think um, even like this is the first season he's always said he would never talk about referee decisions before like you know Modu sugu almost got his literally got his leg broken on a terrible no call and carlos didn't really want to talk about it in the post game press conference now we're talking right. about you know kvetching over 50 50 decisions like this or like the bannon penalty the lead dive quote unquote dive you know stuff like that now i'm not going to say that we haven't had a bad run of decisions against us in recent games i think you can make that argument i don't think the manager should be making that argument to the press as a general rule and i don't think the performances have been good enough to sustain that argument it's pressure, yeah. isn't it? I mean, he's... He doesn't he like, seem like, to be under he, any He doesn't talk pressure, about it, though. but it is very clear in his response and the way you've described it, Paul, and the contrast, that he is he's cracking to a degree, or like probably any human being in a situation where you're not getting the results you're meant to be delivering. He's, he's you know, he's, he's showing that he's not able to stay as calm as he used to be. And, mm. you know, the, the litany of, or the suggestion that there's a conspiracy, you know, we know that's a step too far. Um, but moreover, even if it was a penalty on Saturday, would that would that have changed the game? I mean, I, maybe my mind's a bit addled, but I thought that was at one-one, so that would have put put us back at, at you know in, into the lead. Well, you know, would we have scored the second goal? I don't know. They're all ifs and buts, you know. But we'd still have done that <laughs> chaos at the uh, at the back that that cost us the the win at the end of the game. So, just to argue that we should have had the penalty, I don't think necessarily papers over the performance. I think yeah. it's just look in general. I think he's feeling a bit hard done by and. I kind of I watched that interview and obviously I seen the reaction to it before I actually saw the interview. So I was expecting some kind of like complete meltdown. Which to be fair, it starts off it starts off in a regularly kind of in a normal kind of interviewee kind of uh, passionate, but not like lo- losing its state. But then he does slowly unravel a bit more, and he goes on to talk about the actual call and stuff, and <laughs> starts ranting about wait to see on Channel Five. Um, but I do have some sympathy here for him, and I do think that. Uh, as fans, uh, he, he, it's like we, we give him no, no opportunity. He can't win here. If he just comes out and gives the same excuses like he does last last time round and makes excuses for stuff like um, we played really well, but this and this happened. But then he comes out and he's quite passionate about something and thinks we're actually being hard done by. And I think on balance this season, we are being hard done by. And it is fine margins, despite poor performances. It's it's fine margins and, and bad calls that's, that's costing us points. Yes, we can play better football, totally, but when you're 
a coach like managing this team, your strategies, you've got like uh, hard work going into it. It's these fine margins which he's focusing on, which is he's getting passionate about. And I've got nothing against him for being passionate about something like that. I don't think he's losing the plot. I think he might be feeling the the, um, the stress of the fans and of uh, maybe not the chairman, but maybe of the fans of not winning as many games. But um, I, I don't. I think it's unfair to say he's losing the plot. I think it's just showing passion. Do you think that maybe he's trying to distract a little bit from uh, the criticism of the players? To say, like, hey, you know, they did what I asked them to do and and things didn't go our way and therefore, like, you know, uh, it's not really their fault. I'm going to take this attention on me to kind of stop anyone from saying, like, hey, they, you know, who who didn't defend against Dawson's header, etc.? I think he does that, but he does that almost naturally. So it's something mm. that he, he obviously it's ingrained in me. I don't think it's a, it's, a, it's a conscious decision to say, I'm going to do this to take the blame off the players. I actually think he just does that because that's who he is. That's the kind of person and the way he thinks. So, yeah, I think I think that's part of it. There was a very telling kind of moment in the interview where where he he almost he, he kind of kind of looked down and was was sort of shaking his head, and he he actually says. I don't know what I can do more. You know, he's referencing the kind of losing control because of all this, you know, these bad decisions against us. But it really, for me, was like a moment of him like, you know, what can I do? What can I do? And then interestingly as well, he always used to talk about the process. You know, we don't, we don't hear about the process anymore. It's like, are we done with the process? Are we Is this it? You know, um, well, I, I just, I just feel like he's, he's running out of ideas, you know. Exactly. So, you know, everything that we've, everything that Carlos has given us over the last two and a bit seasons has been, trust me, because th- there's a process at work. You know, I'm doing something that you don't understand tactically, conditioning, um, scientifically with the players, and, and it will bear fruit. And and now we're just left with the it will bear fruit, but we're not being given any further confidence that the process is ongoing and, and we're starting to, to blame you know, blame the tools, blame the results on on other things, right? I mean, that that does sound like somebody who's essentially saying, "Look, I've tried tried everything I know how to do, and I'm working with the same playing squad. So let's try and find other reasons why it's not paying off." And you know, that if anything is an advert to say that we potentially need to change the coaching approach and the coaching staff because you know, same same effect, same same players, we're not going to get a different output, right? You know, it's funny that you know, of course. Uh he's very good free friends with Jose Mourinho and there's sort of the Mourinho year three hangover effect. And Carlos himself has never really stayed in the job for more than two seasons. So I wonder if there is sort of an inherent limitation to his tactical style and that's why he's moved around so much. Well, we're kind of seeing that now, I suppose, aren't we? I'll say it's uncharted territory, so... That's. Uh, I think it's uh, it's coming undone, undone a little bit, but um, until the end of the season, I suppose uh, we're not going to find out really if it's going to work the strategy or not. It certainly doesn't like it's working right now. Um, so yeah, we'll see. We'll move on now to the Wednesday news of the week, and we got the what the fourteenth installment or whatever it was of Ask the Chairman. And this one actually has some interesting stuff in it with regards to top striker prospect George Hurst and 
Shansiri was, I think, a little bit weirdly candid about how sour the situation has gotten, James. Yeah, I mean, this has been pretty pretty heavily reported, hasn't it? It's just a really sad story, I think. Um, and, you know, we've, we've got to be careful because we're, we're hearing the club side now for the first time and it's been a lot speculated on. So, you know, that there's obviously going to be a, a different side to the story. And I guess we'll, you know, we'll talk about that in a second. But, yeah, what I mean, what he's essentially said is, you know, they've, the club has tried exceptionally hard to hang on to a, a really, really promising talent coming through the development squad that, that we think should be a great player for the future, irrespective of who Sonny is. Um, that they've, you know, they've moved a long way in terms of the the contract offers they made to George Hurst, the um, the level of salary that they were willing to pay for a, you know, a still unproven player at Championship level, um, not necessarily far away actually from first team levels or, or possibly in excess of some first team levels. They were going to break the pay structure. And, you know, those overtures, those contract offers have, have just been rebuffed by, I guess in Chancery's words, the player's advisors, not necessarily the player. I don't think we really know, you know, the role that George Hurst has played in, in all of this. But it, it's just so sad to see a player of, of such great promise and, you know, the, the son of, of a Wednesday legend, a genuine Wednesday legend, who I think all of us in the fan base would love to see successful in a Wednesday shirt. And it's it looks like this is probably the end. You know, the, the way he's represented it, the club have tried everything to try and give him a a long-term contract on a, on a very attractive wage. And, you know, that's been rebuffed to the point where I think we can all expect that he will either leave in January for a good fee to a... Um, Probably a Premier League club, although I think Leeds have been linked with him as well, um, which is which is interesting. Um, or you know he'll hang on in this kind of limbo situation. We've got a very theological theme going on today um, until until the end of the season, and then it'll go to an arbitration panel. But um, yeah, just 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 incredibly disappointing, I think, in terms of how that's played out. But what has been interesting is seeing how you know how strong probably the support for the club stance has been from the fan base uh, in terms of supporting the fact that you know no no player is bigger than the club and, and certainly no player's advisors can hold the club to ransom which to some extent is encouraging it's just sad to see a, a player caught up in the middle of that a young player with their career in front of them and see a lot of the negativity obviously towards um uh, hurst both both hursts and their advisors but i think if, if i'm an 18 year old kid and i've got a chance to work at a premier league club with their training facilities, uh, and let's face it, they've got better players around them than they would have at Wednesday, and they're going to pay me more. I'm sorry, but if I'm in this position, I'd also drop Wednesday. I love Wednesday, but it's, it's the best for his career and for him right now. The worst that can happen for him if he, if he goes to a higher uh, Premier League team is they farm him out to a lower league club on loan, and that's all we were offering him anyway. We weren't offering him a, a starting place in a year. We weren't offering starting place this year, which I think he was after. So we don't have right now the the funds or the career prospects or the training facilities to to compete. And when you look at it that way, even if George Hurst is saying he wants to stay for another year or so, I, I don't really see really much argument either side of this. We've tried our best to keep him, but at the end of the day, we haven't got the um, the offer that another, another Premier League club has. And that's the sad reality of it, isn't it? Um, that the chances are that there are offers on the table, which you know, for whatever reason that that he hasn't been able to take up on, which which significantly blow past what Wednesday have offered, and and that that's the carrot that's being dangled in front of him, or the 
you know, the, the kind of the, the way in which he's being held off from, from accepting Wednesday's office. We, we don't know what George Hurst's mind is all of this. And I think that we need to be really clear about that. But it's just it's just really sad that, that, that it's come to that, that, you know, a player who potentially could be highly successful at a club is, is you know, having his head turned by the money and the allure of the Premier League. But unfortunately, it's the reality of where football's up to. Also in news this week, the FA Cup round three draw took place. And Wednesday is in the hat and will go away to the winner of Carlisle United against Gillingham. They have a uh, rematch of their round two fixture that ended 1-1 at Gillingham last weekend. The magic of the cup, Paul. Yeah, brilliant. I think the last time I was at Gillingham, um, it was a replay because I think the pitch was frozen the weekend before, and it was a Tuesday night, I think it was, and uh, Gerald Sibon scored the opener. It's um, it's the theatre of dreams, isn't it, the FA Cup? Um, I remember actually running back to the car to get warm again because I was so cold. I had to go and sit with the engine on and get the heaters to, to thaw my hands out. Um, but, you know, that's the that's the romance of the FA Cup. Um, I'm sure if we end up down there again, it'll be a lot of fun. Probably not going to be selected for TV, though. Yeah, I don't think it's that magic if uh, we can't get a Gillingham versus Sheffield Wednesday on TV. And also, they're not on iFollow either, are the FA Cup games. No. We can't compete with, you know, top-level derbies like Crystal Palace versus Brighton. Can one of the Brits please explain to me why this is a derby? The nearest I got is, I think, there's a direct train from Crystal Palace to Brighton, uh, and it's relatively southeast to southeast. That's as much as I know. Maybe um, James or Paul can share something. Oh, that's pretty good encapsulation. I mean, the easiest way of putting it is they've got no one else to uh, to throw abuse at. So those are probably the two most geographically proximate senior level clubs that they can find. It's not it's not a derby. It's just it's just derby. Brighton is kind of too well heeled and too non uh, non enthusiastic to have two clubs. Um, and Crystal Palace, no one really knows where it is other than the fact it's in South London. So they they kind of look at each other over the the gap of the South Downs and. And just figure that they might as well have a rivalry. It's it's no more a derby than uh, the Wednesday Leeds is. Um, you know, just it's all in context. I have to say, I I know, I generally get the feeling that sort of the British British fans in general, I think even Wednesdayites, don't really embrace the FA Cup anymore. I as an American, I think I kind of weirdly enjoy it just because it's something different and. I sort of enjoy the sort of the underdog narratives you get with the non-league cups every uh, non-league teams every once in a while. You know, it's just something different from sort of the drudgery of you know forty-six league games over the course of the season, and teams take it a little more seriously than whatever we're calling the league cup this year. I don't remember who the sponsor is nowadays. So I don't. I'm a little. You know, I I don't have particularly fond or really any memories of Gillingham or, or Carlisle United within my soccer fandom so for me it's kind of just I guess something a little bit different I mean I fully expect us to go there and like lose a drab 2-1 game or something but think of those memories you'll create though Jeff 
I think we should uh, we should send Jeff to whoever we do actually get to to play and see it in person. I mean, why not combine an opportunity to feel to, to experience the magic of the FA Cup with a trip to to Gillingham, for example? My understanding is like they don't, even, they don't even have covered stands there. No, they have no, a temporary right. stand at one end of the end of, end of the pitch or Carlisle, where you could. Uh, you could spend like five hours getting to somewhere that when you get there, it doesn't really have anything to offer. I mean, Sa- save it for the preview, James. Don't, we don't can, waste all we your can good have material a nice here. conversation when we get to the preview. Exactly. Well, yeah, done. Seriously, seriously though, Jeff, if you were, if it was such a great idea, what we should do is pack Jeff and Evan off to an away game like Carlisle, particularly if it's a cup game, just to get the deepest away game experience you could possibly have as a Wednesday fan, schlepping all the way to Carlisle or, or, or down to Gillingham, preferably midweek and an evening. You'd really understand what it's like to be a Wednesday <laughs> fan. <laughs> I'd love to see a live video of Jeff reporting in a windswept, <laughs> thunderstorm, open stadium, Gillingham, as we lose 3-0 to uh, Gillingham side. I feel like Jeff would be wearing a massive sheepskin coat with a large, <laughs> muff-covered microphone, losing, the, you know, the, I was going to say what little hair he's got, but Jeff's got a lot of hair, so that hair would be, kind of be flying in the wind and there'd be some kind of, you know, occasional crisp packets hitting him in the face. It'd be beautiful. Isn't there a famous, like, Soccer Saturday segment? from like an abandoned game where that basically happens let's recreate it i think that this is a thing we should do i, I i'm gonna we've got hashtag flat caps for evan by the way um which i'll come into in, in uh in later segments but i think we need to start an online campaign to get jeff and evan to an fa cup game. Chilling ham for like jeffrey idea. <laughs> <sighs> i think you've got the uh bad end of the stick there jeff if you end up going to Gillingham and evan just gets a flat cap For now, we'll take a break and actually bring Evan on for our second segment of the show, an interview with the Proud Owls group. Okay, everyone, on the line today, we have a surprise special guest. Uh, we're not speaking to an American this week, we're speaking to someone back home, and it's because uh, this past week there's a fantastic launch at Hillsborough, the Pride, Proud Owls, um, and the Rainbow Laces campaign. So on the line today we have Matt, how are you doing? Hiya, I am very good, thanks, how are you? Great, thank you, thanks for joining us on the podcast. That's all right. We've also got Evan and James on the line, this is a pre-record uh, midway through the podcast. So, uh, Evan and James, we're just going to have a quick chat with Matt about uh, the Proud Owls. Uh, so, Matt, how did this group start, and what's the kind of uh, aim and objectives of it? Yeah, so it's kind of fitting into a bunch of other stuff that's going on at a lot of different clubs. So, there's the campaign called Pride in Football, and they're helping out loads of different clubs to to set up these groups. And uh, for me, at Wednesday, like the, the first time I really even thought about it and thought about getting involved was when I was saying to a friend who I used to live with, and, you know, he'd we, we lived in Sheffield, we lived together for quite a while, and I always was saying to him, oh, come to the football, you, you'll really enjoy it. And he would always say, like, I don't feel like I'd fit in there, I'd be really uncomfortable. Um, and that's the kind of thing which I think really makes you think. And no matter who you are as a Wednesday fan, you don't want to hear someone say that they'd feel uncomfortable at Hillsborough, sort of no matter what. Like, uh, so that made me think about how 
things should be better and how to make things better and now that there's stuff like pride in football existing it's actually a lot easier they've been really great at helping to set things up and kind of push it forward so so yeah it's kind of the perfect time to do it so that's, that's why it's just gone started so do uh, pride in football help um different team supporters get a group together is that what they uh, enable yeah so they they started out from just a couple of, of fan groups early on who got together but now organization and they're supported by sort of different groups like stonewall and they they really like they have loads of amazing resources so they have all of like the starter kits on how you put a group together how you organize meetings how you can talk to a club they'll give you like sample letters they'll manage introductions and stuff like that which is fantastic because i think for a lot of people it's really difficult to try and talk to a football club they're kind of like clandestine organizations and you have no idea who to talk to there's no sort of clear contact and it's a bit intimidating um but they've been really great at like being able to to point us in the right direction and say here's the kind of person you need to talk to here's the kind of thing you need to say in a meeting here's what other teams are doing it's really helpful fantastic and, and building on kind of that guidance it looks like you've got a really positive response from wednesday so um how have the club been in terms of supporting you with with kind of going into launch this week and, and why is this week so important to, to uh to kind of feature in terms of, of of everything you've been doing around the game on the weekend and, and this week uh, as a whole the club have genuinely been amazing um i i actually wasn't super nervous going into it um because i I, I think you do always get the feeling, especially from like the, the club and the structure at Wednesday, that they're usually pretty friendly and they've got their they're in pretty in touch with the fans. But I've just been blown away by how great they've been. Um, I went in for like my first meeting at Hillsborough and was a little bit sort of nervous. I was going to be in a room with quite a lot of people, but they were all 100% on board and willing to sort of do anything they've been coming with up with loads of ideas for stuff to do in the future and it's amazing because you kind of expect at least a certain amount of convincing but the very first thing they said was we're 100 percent on board with this let's get started which is great um it's really been perfect and it, it's it's pretty good timing because the rainbow laces campaign does happen around this time every year it's been going for i think four years but it started out pretty badly and this is the first year when the football league has really taken it seriously um and we were just lucky enough for it to be the time when wednesday were thinking of having their rainbow laces game so we kind of tied onto it and got involved helping out um and got to get in the program and advertised on twitter and stuff like that so it lined up perfectly and the club were happy to do everything it's so awesome to hear just i mean not just the positivity but the way that they're committing to help you in the future as well because it, it's in, it's been an interesting conversation as we were talking about bringing you on the podcast that you know many of us realize that there might be sections of the fan base who don't feel as comfortable or as as welcome as you said at hillsborough and, and it's so refreshing to hear that the club is thinking proactively about that and how we make everybody feel welcome so I, I think it's just it, it, it maybe a season that's not been so great so far it's awesome to hear a really good news story about inclusivity and encouraging diversity across the fan base 
Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's something that a lot more football clubs are thinking of in general. Um, and so you get uh, sort of some of the recent stories is uh, Swansea, for example, have made something which is a very small and simple change, but it's of having gender neutral titles on your sort of ticket buying account, stuff like that. So it's something that a lot of clubs are trying to take steps forwards with, but um, it, it's been great to see Wednesday just completely throwing themselves at it. And I can do a little shout out to the, the club's safeguarding officers, a man named Richard Groves, who's incredible. It's like someone who it doesn't necessarily like tick all of the boxes and know all of the different people, but is 100% committed to getting it right and sort of making people happy. And that's exactly the kind of person that a football club needs, someone who cares about the fans. And that's what Wednesday have got. And that's that's great. Awesome. So, so what can we do or what can the fan base as a whole do to, to kind of help to take advantage of that? So with, with the sponsorship and the support of the club, you know, what, what are you seeking to kind of do to build on the launch and to, to help more people feel welcome and, and included, uh, you know, when they're trying to go to games or, or just be part of the Wednesday fan base? Yeah, I think the the main thing really um, is just having a space for people. So if you enjoy drinking, come along to the pub and like just meet people. I think that's almost always the the most effective way to make people feel welcome is have a drink with them, show them that you know there are people who are just like you and they have the same interests as you and they're absolutely fine and they'll have your back. Um, in kind of general, and, and that's stuff their representation that too, right? Mate? That's that's yes. Yeah. It's, it's not like a, a gay people clubs come over here to meet with people and drink. It's just Sheffield Wednesday fans come together and accept everyone that's a fan of Sheffield Wednesday, whether you're gay, straight, or, or bi. Really, that's like an open invitation. You you're opening your arms for there, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's. I, I think that's actually one thing which I, I really noticed over the weekend. A lot of tweets from straight people who just wanted to get involved and help out and that's really great so yeah it's as it kind of gets together it'll be a great opportunity for people to just meet up before matches in a really casual way um it's, in terms it's kind of, of funny our um oh, sorry go ahead please um yeah in terms of like stuff that fans can do as a whole i think it's a lot more tricky and it kind of does in sometimes sometimes require a little bit of a shift and the the stewards are actually learning a lot of things, but you know, being able to tell someone to shut up when they say something bad in a, in a stadium like that requires like fans to to feel a bit more comfortable because there'll always be some like dickhead behind you who shouts terrible things, and I think yeah, fans being able to like say go away that that would be great. Yeah, and that's not, that's not all of us though because that. That shouldn't just be the responsibility of, of people who f- you feel personally affronted by it. We should all feel affronted if anybody is, is calling out anybody for abuse in the stadium. So whether it's on the basis of sexuality or on the basis of race or or just frankly making people feel uncomfortable around them, I think that's that's a responsibility of the whole fan base. But I, I really like the way that you um, you were sort of making it about just making people feel welcome and then they can get on with the Wednesday, right? Um, it kind of appeals to us because our, our two key questions are always how did you become a Wednesday and what are you drinking so it sounds like we're going to be pretty well aligned going forward and it's probably a perfect segue to ask you how did you become a Wednesday Matt um uh, so you might have detected that I'm not from Sheffield I'm actually from London um and I grew up 
just around the corner from the bowling ground, West Ham's ground until a few years ago. Um, and quite a lot of my family are West Ham supporters. Um, my dad happened to be a Man United supporter, and I kind of thought, you know, if I'm going to be forced to support a team that's really far away, I might as well support one with a good name. And it was the early 90s. I didn't have very clear decision processes, but Wednesday were a good team back then. And I'm quite a stubborn person. So, you know, I, I settled on Wednesday at like the age of about three or four and thought, yeah, this is my team now. And uh, then at the age of seven, Wednesday got relegated and it's been a tough time since then. Um, yeah, and then I, yeah, I went to Sheffield for university. I kind of got a lot more interested in going to matches then like i had a season ticket i spent three years in sheffield going to pretty much every match um so yeah i i'm a little bit unusual in that i am a rare glory hunting sheffield wednesday fan from the 90s <laughs> there's not that many that's very aligned to most of the american fans we have on here matt so it's funny that we've got you on <laughs> you said the same thing a lot of american fans yeah there's, um, you there's mentioned a couple the- of us yeah, you mentioned earlier on that you, you also want to provide us a space. Stuff. Have you actually put any kind of uh, logistics in place to kind of a, a meeting uh, place that you're going to start that support group from? Or is it all kind of like ad hoc at the moment? Yeah, that's a, a slightly trickier thing is finding spaces in, in the ground or in pubs nearby is actually really difficult on match day. Um, so we're still kind of working with the club to to figure stuff out. I did spend quite a lot of time on Saturday in the Wednesday Tap, the the new bar that they've put downstairs, which is really nice. So hopefully they'll be able to put some space aside for us to, to go there every weekend. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of a work in progress to see if there's a good place for people to meet. I think, in my experience, most people kind of hop between pubs before matches anyway, so it might be tricky to get one place where everyone wants to stay, but yeah, it's it's easy enough to work out once we kind of have numbers and can settle on everything. Well, I think I'm probably speaking for the New York Owls, which says that you're uh, you're very welcome if you ever want to come and watch a game with us down at Legends or Niles in New York City as a starting point. But that that might be a little bit further than you were thinking in terms of moving beyond the tap. But the tap and the Riverside Cafe, I'm sure, are two really good places to start around the ground. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Indeed, right, so and uh, so there. what's your? Oh, I think we were going to ask the same. I think we were going to ask the same question. Uh, are you having a drink at the moment? And uh, if so, <laughs> if so, what is it? So I have uh, recently started drinking quite a lot of gin, and uh, on my last trip up to Sheffield um, a couple of weeks ago, actually, I, I got some uh, Sheffield dry gin it's the first gin made in Sheffield I think in about a hundred years it's really nice um, it has a bit of Henderson's relish in it which you can't really taste because what? I imagine if you could taste that that would be a bit weird but it's really Hendo's nice. and gin yeah wow, that um, is crazy talk golly yeah, it's, I, it's I've pretty heard, good though I've heard that you can put Hendo's in anything but my goodness <laughs> they're dumping that in the, in the right. vodka Matt, you started yeah. a new trend, I'm sure. Yeah, so I have the uh, Hops and Honey special edition of the Sheffield Dry Gin um, with the finest uh, Sainsbury's tonic water. 
an excellent pairing. Absolutely delicious until you mentioned Sainsbury's. But um, I'm I'm going to put that on my list to uh, to get when I'm back in Sheffield next week. Now I'm getting uh, I'm pretty excited. I hadn't thought about Sheffield-based gin. What a great idea! Got a Sheffield and gin story, which Jamie was party to in the Boxing Day match last year, where we all went to the Lem Mill after the Boxing Day match, and uh, I got was it last year or year before? I can't remember. I got absolutely hammered on rounds and rounds and rounds and rounds of gin after the Boxing Day game. And then I had to take my wife to uh, London the next day for her Christmas present and spent the entire day throwing up around London for her Christmas present. So uh, Sheffield and gin doesn't really sound that appealing to me right now. <laughs> right, um, so um, how are you feeling about the season, Matt? Let's go on to Sheffield Wednesday talk. Uh, do you think uh, Carlos should stay out the rest of the year or the rest of the season or just get him out straight away? Or how are you thinking? Um, if you asked me that question like a month ago, I would have said Carlos should go, but he's clearly not going to go. So I, I've just resigned myself to the fact that he's going to stay for the rest of the season. Um, I think it's, it's really difficult uh, because... Wednesday at times have been really good this season. Like there's been kind of like the the match against Villa that was incredible. It was like the Wednesday of two years ago, like beautiful, free flowing football. You could really see that the players just had that kind of confidence and skill that we hadn't seen in about two years. And then you get like a first half, like the first half against Hull on Saturday, which is just dismal. They And they lock up and they keep losing the ball and it's just painful to watch. Um, so I don't really think Wednesday would go anywhere. I'm expecting like a 10th place finish. Um, I'm hoping that that will mean that Carlos leaves and we can get a, a different manager and hopefully change up the team a little bit, move on some of the uh, the the players who are kind of stealing a wage right now and hopefully rebuild a bit and then next year go for it great thanks so much matt i appreciate uh, you coming on the podcast where can people get hold of you if they want to uh, get in touch so there is the proud owls twitter account which is proud owls but with an underscore in in between the two words um there is an email address uh, join hyphen us at proudowls.co.uk and there's also a Facebook page, um, but that's, uh, I can't remember what that's, that's called Proud Owls as well. You can probably find it. <laughs> just search for Proud um, Owls on the internet, hopefully they'll find you. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep, yeah, just feel free for anyone to tweet or email in. Um, happy to, to meet up with anyone, or if anyone wants to get involved, that would be great. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Matt. Thank you. Now time for an interview with occasional American podcast drop-in host and dubbed by Patty, international man of mystery, Luke Andrews Hacken. Luke, how did you become a Wednesdayite? Uh, well, let's see. My father was a professor of anthropology, and he had two opportunities to go study and do some research at Sheffield University the first time before I was born in, I want to say, 1977-78, and then the second time uh, when I was in the second grade, so 80, 84, 
85, something like that. Um, so we, we as a family spent some time there. Uh, my brother, my older brother got into football, like every 12 year old kid did. And, um, that was pretty much it. We, we were a blue family. We were on that side of town and, and, uh, went to a number of games, but my, my brother has some very strong memories of like holding me up at the cop end when there were still, uh, still the metal rails that you could like you know, put your, put your feet on. So you weren't crushed by the crowd and stuff like that. Um, and that's been pretty much it. I've, um, I got back into watching soccer a lot, uh, after, after I got married and had a little more free time on my hands. Um, and so, you know, as the progression of internet streaming opportunities and, and TV opportunities to watch your, your team, increase it's it's been easier and easier to uh to see it all live and you know meet a bunch of uh fellow new yorkers who also happen to follow the same team in a nutshell luke can you remember so you, you say you were quite young when your your brother took you there originally how old were you, you can remember it would be second grade so i would have been six or seven um right. I distinctly remember they played a team that was in black and white stripes. And I remember being really confused by like, like there's blue and white stripes on this side and black and white stripes on this side. And like, how do they keep track, you know, and then must've figured it out. I, but I can't figure out which black and white stripe team it was. Cause I went back and looked and tried to find like, I remember they lost. I remember they lost to nil maybe, but I've never found a game against a team that I know of that played in black and white stripes that year. So I, I can't figure out who it is. I also remember the really odd halftime show. And I'm not sure if it was that game or a different game where like they had a bunch of guys come out in American football pads and do like three downs of American football in the middle of halftime for no reason, as far as I can tell. <laughs> what? Yeah, I, I, I remember this. What year is this? This this would have been yeah eighty four or eighty five. Oh wow, yeah, maybe eighty six. I can't remember. So um, so were you always like in a like, really young stage while you're in Sheffield? You were never there like any teens or anything like that. You, you, when did you leave? Uh, we were only there for a year. So yeah, okay. um, I I came back and you know there, um, yeah no we we've we've gone back to visit several times. I mean my parents still keep in touch with a lot of people. Um, from from that area my mom was actually there just this past summer uh visiting with her friends and i went back last august my brother and i went back and watched uh we went to the leeds game which was the lead game was just about the worst game to have seen last year uh but we went um that was a lot of fun uh, can i uh, can i just point out luke that you are actually a, a really bad omen when you go back to games in yeah. the uk yeah, so as, as far as I'm aware, you've only gone to two games. That was the Leeds game. Maybe you should say a word about the other game that you went back to. Yeah, the other the other game that I went back to see was the uh, the playoff final at Wembley, uh, where where we all know how that ended. Um, but yeah, that was that was my first time seeing Wednesday live again since I was six. I would say that was a fun day, though. It was a really fun day. 
what, what a day. I mean, I've I, I just got this abiding memory at the back end of that day. I mean, there were so many things that led up to that great, wonderful, and, and dreadful. But it was uh, it was basically, yeah, I think, you, me, and and uh, Luke Paddy sat in the back of a rickshaw flying up the Tottenham Court Road on the way to a, a sort of second rendezvous with some folks, some friends of ours, uh, some notable friends in a uh, in a pub at the top end of Tottenham Court Road, singing at the top of our voices, calling it, Carlos had a dream, and he's in the back of a rickshaw and all sorts of silly nonsense like that. It was a great day. Um, and Luke, Luke made all the difference. <laughs> we went, went to meet uh, Fudge and we went to meet Lee Peacock about midnight, straight after the game. <laughs> right. very, very random. Shortly before we ended up in a Spanish uh, guitar bar at 2am. But anyway, different story. Good day. Very different story, yeah. So, Luke, what are your thoughts on the season so far? Um, I, you know, I can't, I can't really subscribe to the "it's time to fire the manager" philosophy. I can see a lot of the points that uh, that have been made about how the team is performing, um, but I just there's some part of me that still holds to the this one person isn't responsible for everything that's gone wrong like i think um i think that there have been made i think there have been some some bad starting 11 decisions and i think that you know some of the substitutions aren't maybe you know the best ones for the time but you feel like he's trying to do the best with the squad that he has and with the injuries that we've had um maybe Maybe not all of the blame lies on one single Portuguese guy, um, but I don't. I don't know if there is an easy fix to it. I don't know if there. Uh, I don't know if there's a way to like turn around the the season, or even if the season necessarily needs to be turned around in the way that we, the the fan base has kind of suggested. Um. Yeah, you know, I mean. It, it, this this uh, the window opening again will be interesting. Um, I think we'll see the intent, uh, the ownership's intent, pretty quickly. And if uh, if new any new blood comes in, it'll 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 hopefully have a have a good. I, I don't know what the expression is. Kick on effect, additive effect. Hopefully to get us through the. Uh, through the end of the season anything just give us anything so luke you are a new york owl Can you talk a little bit about how you found the new york owls and if you have any memories of sort of your first trip to the lovely basement of legends bar and grill <laughs> i love legends um let's see i i was at uh i was a uh, I was at a Red Bulls game. Um, I'm also a Red Bulls season ticket holder, and I was at a Red Bulls game, and there was a like 13, 14 year old kid in a Wednesday shirt in the in must have been in the bathroom at halftime or something because I was standing next to him. And I'm like, oh shit, like you know, and I must have said something to him like, you know, what do you what are you doing here? Or, you know, I haven't seen a Sheffield Wednesday kid in a long time or something like that, and he said something about. Yeah, um, there's a bunch of us, you know, you should find the Twitter feed. Like, I guess he must have been in town just for that game or just for the weekend or something. And so I he's remember. He's my, uh, my 14-year-old plant, Luke. I keep him in all toilets. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always knew that. 
that was your secret. Uh, but um, so I remember going on Twitter and like finding the New York Owls, and then um, just I think I must have just messaged Patrick directly, being like, "Hey, when's the next meetup?" Or like, "I'll come on down" or something. And I remember going down and meeting a, a whole crap ton of people who, you know, over time have since learned their names again and can remember faces and so forth. But um, had a long conversation with this really tall guy. And then the next day uh, went to my friend's, was it his 35th birthday or was it his son's year birthday? I can't remember. But of course, uh, James was standing there in the, you know, in the same brunch. And I was like, hey, I just talked to you yesterday. It was a pretty funny, odd moment. Um, Because then, you know, now I see James and Patrick and like, you know, two times a month or sometimes less, sometimes more. That's really not an exciting story, I guess. (laughs) I get to learn about Patty's Oliver Twist-like army of children scattered about the five boroughs (laughs) to recruit, so... This explains why Paddy kicks kids at family day as well. He's uh, he's kind of Fagin, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> They're good at firing and really cheap. <laughs> maybe maybe that wasn't their first birthday party that we were both at the brunch for, Luke. Maybe it was just like another one of Paddy's uh, <laughs> kind of you know employed children trying to recruit people for the New York Owls. <laughs> Recruitment drive. Like, that all, could be very possible. Yes, the tall person was just three children in a trench coat. <laughs> <laughs> now we'll move on to our weekly preview and this week it's norwich city however we did get a bit of listener feedback on our dazed and mumble line about last week's preview oh yes hello 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 are we on can you hear me hello mother uh, yes, hello. Um, my name is is James Marriott, and um, I'm actually involved in uh, a podcast as well. It's called The Wednesday Week. Uh, you may well come across it at some point. Um, I wish to lodge a complaint, please, regarding that Manhattan owl and his soft treatment of Hull in his I Hate Everywhere feature. Um, he rips Bristol to bits, which is actually a rather nice city, and then lets Hull off with a few minor insults. Now, I'm sorry... But it's the arse end of the country, if not the world. There's one road in and one road out. There's never any queues to get in, hours of delays to leave, because every bugger wants to get the hell out of the shithole. It's the land of the deep, where people stand around looking at fish, noshing on brandy snaps covered in chip spice, and patty butties, whatever they are. I mean, patty butties. Sounds more like female genitalia than a food item. Anyway, I hope you can address this matter henceforth. Oh, and uh, P.S., I'm looking forward to hearing you rip Middlesbrough to shreds. Thanks. Bye. Love you guys. Bye. James, you have anything to say to defend yourself from James? It's, um, it's pretty hard to respond to a critique like that, isn't it? I, I'm, I'm sort of damned if I do, damned if I don't these days. If I... If I criticise, I'm um, I'm held up for for going hard on British towns and and basically kind of being uh, being told I'm hard on Britain. Um, when I try to pre- present a balanced perspective on the the beautiful fair city of Hull, um, I, I receive a critique like that. It's uh, it's very difficult to respond. Uh, actually, to be fair, James is pretty much 
bang on. You know, I was uh, I was trying to go a, bit, a little bit light on the hole, but I, I think his his synopsis is perfect. So all I can really say is that um, given that I managed to uh, to backpedal so so lightly on uh, on all of those areas of criticism, I think we, the only thing that we can do is get James on to uh, to talk about Middlesbrough with me. So uh, maybe we'll we'll tag team and and see what what glorious things we can say about that particularly wonderful city up north. Also, you can't argue with James Marriott. I mean, as Colin Murray says on the Channel 5 programme, he works for the, the Wednesday Week podcast. He really knows his stuff. <laughs> I don't think he needs people to tell him that again. I think that, that, that seems to be going around in stereo at the moment. But let's see what he knows about Middlesbrough. So, uh, so James, if you're listening, um, challenge accepted. Let's, um, let's see what we can say. This week, though, it is Norwich. And, James, you're not the only one with a sad tale of woe about the home of the Canaries. I'm not, and we uh, we thought we'd do it a little bit differently. I guess you know, taking on board the listener feedback this this week, that um, that perhaps you know my my diatribe of abuse, or, or indeed um, trying to be generous to, to British towns, is, is is creating such reaction amongst our listener base. We thought we'd uh, we'd introduce Norwich through the medium of a of a personal story, a personal experience. So I'm not going to talk about the obvious things like Delia Smith, the uh, the celebrated British cook and uh, and chairwoman of Norwich City. I'm not going to talk about Coleman's mustard. Uh, based in in Norwich and uh, and one of Britain's finest um, exports in a powder form. I'm not even going to talk about Alan Partridge and his love of uh, uh, apple pies that are hotter than the sun. I'm simply going to introduce Paul Lowen, who uh, who went on holiday to the Norfolk Broads once and uh, and very nearly never never came back. So Paul, maybe you can tell us a little bit about Norwich. I can. I can give you some um, kind of insights as to the kind of uh, activity that goes on in uh, East Anglia. Uh, for for the American listeners, you may not realise it's uh, it's virtual floodplains, it's wetlands, it's very very low, and the second the sea level rises, it's all going to disappear anyway. But whilst we can, people s- navigate the wetlands on the broads, which are large sort of rivers and streams that flow into estuaries um, uh, in and around the Yarmouth um, area. So my little little story to kind of explain what happens in norfolk particularly if you're not from from that area um as an 18 year old um deciding to go with some mates on on a on a, a pleasure boat cruise so you get these little boats these little holiday boats are like winnebago's or large caravans as a boat which when you're 18 years old is uh, is fantastic you know you you kind of take two or three mates and you poodle around you find a pub and you have a lot of fun but unfortunately the uh the reality of our experience went south very quickly, and it was kind of a horror story in three acts. Um, the first one uh, was finding ourselves actually in the Great Yarmouth estuary in a very small blue holiday boat surrounded by large ships and tugboats. And that was the first time we decided to check the, the manual and navigation guide that we'd completely ignored since we'd been on the thing for two or three days, uh, realizing quickly that you weren't supposed to be there. You, know, you could only be there at certain times. The time that we were there was at a high, um, well, a low tide. The tide was, was on its way out. So you can picture us pretty pissed on a blue uh, pe- uh, holiday boat trying to navigate upstream under the Yarmouth Bridge with big red lights saying, don't go under the bridge. There were moments where we were literally not moving. We were on full throttle. This poor little engine was like screaming at us to, to, to kind of throttle back, but we didn't because we thought we were going to end up out at sea. 
And in fact, we slowly made our way under the bridge. And sure enough, just to our right was another boat. These guys had decided to bail, had just driven their boat into the mud flats that had been exposed <laughs> at low tide. They were sort of screaming to us to help them. We just daren't. So we just carried on. We got black smoke <laughs> billowing out the back of our boat. You just left and them. We, we had to because it was uh, it was us or them. So we eventually managed to. <laughs> Managed to navigate after about 45 minutes on high throttle. I mean, this boat had probably never done that in its entire life. Uh, all the gas had gone, all the petrol had gone, just about. We managed to kind of sort of cruise to safety, uh, where we kind of uh, moored up and spent the rest of the afternoon in the bar, just to just to kind of calm our nerves. I honestly, thought that was the end of it, but we thought, you know, that was the, the kind of the low light of the of the holiday. But uh, what we didn't realise is that. Um, Whilst we were enjoying ourselves in the pub, the tide had, tide had risen again, and um, we kind of moored up, got back to the boat and thought, this is a bit loose, tied it up nice and tight, jumped on the boat, crashed out for the evening, woke up pretty early in the morning and thought I heard a, a glass smash, and thought, looked down and saw a broken glass on the floor of the bedroom and thought, that's odd, didn't think much more of it. <laughs> Ten minutes later, I myself rolled out the bed, I suddenly realise as I'm looking up that the boat is now at 45 degrees of an angle. I'm thinking, this, this is not right either. Um, again, we'd failed to note uh, in the in the, in the the manual, which we'd had for a whole week now, and only read one page on how to navigate Yarmouth as we were doing so. Um, we realised what we'd done is we'd, we'd moored our boat up extremely tightly at high tide. And then as the tide had gone out, we were actually hanging off the wall of the quay. <laughs> by some very tight ropes uh, we managed to climb out of the boat and um, <laughs> made another mistake of trying to untie the boat and then oh, realised no. quickly <laughs> that the boat kind of slid down this uh, concrete and steel wall smashed the side of the boat up ended up sort of half capsized righted itself and then um, the, the third and final act, just quickly, was uh, arriving back, you know, full of excuses and explanations and realising we will have lost our deposit to uh, return the boat. Couldn't get into the dock. We were bobbing around for five minutes and when, um, saw two swans started starting to attack some ducks and ducklings, which we, uh, we obviously got very upset by. So I, I grabbed a broom and I was sort of <laughs> splashing the water, trying to keep the swans away from the ducks. And um, at that point, one of the swans took exception to my wielding a broom at it and came at me. Um, so I actually hit a swan in the neck. <laughs> um, it wasn't a royal swan, was it, Paul? Well, this is the thing. This is the reason why I've never been to Carrow Road, because I daren't. Because I'm sure I'm going to buy some royal court over there for attacking a property of the Queen. Because that's right, I think swans are the property of the Crown, so... I did, it's horrible. It's, I'm going to take that to my uh, deathbed. Just the feeling. Which, which is why Paul, we were so keen for you to tell this story because I, I think Norwich is the first city where a member of Owls Americas is actually banned from entering the city limits <laughs> on the basis of uh, of wanton vandalism and, uh, and and no knowledge of how to navigate the Norfolk Broads. Yeah, I know. It's but so anyway. So uh, all our American listeners, that's what happens in Norfolk, um, and that's where Norwich are from. That's I where I think people probably quite fancy getting room. involved in that. Yeah. And that's our Norwich City preview for the week. <laughs> I can't believe we didn't say that Norwich also won the uh, the titular award of uh, High Street of the Year 2014. Um, <laughs> frankly, they should have you on the tourism board, Paul. <sighs> this has been Owls Americast, episode 9. <laughs> you can find us at owlsamericas.com. Are we not actually going to talk about Norwich City? No, absolutely. Who cares? They're another, you know... 
Much like Wednesday, they probably expect to be there thereabouts in the playoff race, and they're mired in mid-table mediocrity. Jeff's had enough. He wants to go to bed. <laughs> I still have to edit this absolute disaster of a show. So, <laughs> all right, flush that. I think I quite like Norwich as a club personally. I think they've um, they're not having a great season, but I think uh, you know they've, they've done a lot of things right over the years. They've uh, they've had some good times in Europe. They've they've been up to the Premiership a couple of times since we've been trying. And and I'm actually quite I'm I'm a, I'm a big admirer of the way they run the club. Um, of what they do with Stuart Webber, the sporting director, and the, the, what they're trying to do in terms of the football they're playing. It's just not working very well. So they started off the season with good promise. And like you said, they've kind of ended up where we are. But they still had five shots on target in the last game when they lost to, uh, to Cardiff 3-1, which is as many shots as we managed in November. So we probably shouldn't be too enthusiastic. Well done, James. That was probably like uh, the most concise uh, match preview we've done yet. And I don't think Jeff was ready for that. <laughs> Anyway, you can email the show at owlsamericas at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at owlsamericas. Our podcast intro and bumpers by fellow Wednesdays, Reverend and the Makers. The podcast is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbeam, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right. Wherever you choose to consume the Owls Americast. We ask you rate and review the show as it helps more Wednesdayites find our ramblings. And speaking of ramblings, you can leave the show a voicemail on our Days and Mumbled line at 1-401-307-1867. International rates do apply, but you can dial it for free using Google Voice. James is on Twitter at Manhattan Owl. James, for Wednesday, it's heading down to Carroll Road. Any suggestions for things to do around the stadium? <laughs> Uh, apparently Norwich is actually filled with really good pubs. That's the uh, that's the off off the record feedback I had from uh, from our listener base um, in advance of the Norwich preview. So go and find a pub um, and and start a topic uh, conversation with with the locals. For example, you could ask them who is the best lord, and I'll just leave it at that. Paul is on Twitter at the O Wednesday. Paul, have you also assaulted any corgis in your time in England? <laughs> no, just uh, I just like to hit swans in the neck with brooms. I don't have anything uh, anything against a good corgi. Luke, I didn't bother to look up your Twitter handle before <laughs> preparing uh, this uh, segment. So it, that's okay. It's Luke A H. There you go. It's at Luke A H. Are you c- sure it was actually Paul and not three small children in a trench coat <laughs> under orders from Patty? No, no, it was James actually, not Paul. James uh, isn't James, that tall though. Uh, he was he was tall that day. Um, it was very <laughs> I've dark shrunk down. Shrunk a bit of later. <laughs> Patty is on Twitter at Patty A Jones for talking about music acts that wear skinny jeans and at New York Owls for general Wednesday grousing. Patty, where are our meetups for this late kickoff on Saturday? It's a wonderful late kickoff on ESPN on iFollow. Um, the first meetup we have is in Portland, who are on a winning streak when they meet up. There are two for two, so they're going for the third win in a row when they meet up. They'll be meeting at the Toffee Club, and you can find them um, on our website, Meetups page. Uh, we're also meeting up in New York, back at the Football Factory this week, for a nice 12.30 kickoff. Uh, and in New Orleans, we're meeting up at, the, at uh, Finn McCool's. And again, all the details for that are on owlsamericas.com. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. Addie be with you, and we'll see you back here next week.
really good. 